0: Chapter One, Part Two of Celebrated Crimes, Volume Six, by Alexander Dumas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Parsons. Celebrated Crimes, Volume Six, by Alexander Dumas. Chapter One part two from that day onward trespolo saw the dream of his life nearly realized something rather above a footman and rather below a house steward he became the confidant of his master who found his talents most useful for this trespolo was as sharp as a demon and almost as artful as a woman The prince, who, like an intelligent man as he was, had divined that genius is naturally indolent, asked nothing of him but advice. When tiresome people wanted thrashing, he saw to that matter himself, and, indeed, he was the equal of any two at such work. As nothing in this lower world, however, is complete, Transpolo had strange moments amid this life of delights from time to time his happiness was disturbed by panics that greatly diverted his master he would mutter incoherent words stifle violent sighs and lose his appetite the root of the matter was that the poor fellow was afraid of going to hell the matter was very simple he was afraid of everything and besides it had often been preached to him that the devil never allowed a moment's rest to those who were ill-advised enough to fall into his clutches traspolo was in one of his good moods of repentance when the prince after gazing on the young girl with the fierce eagerness of a vulture about to swoop upon its prey turned to speak to his intimate adviser the poor servant understood his master's abominable design and not wishing to share the guilt of a sacrilegious conversation opened his eyes very wide and turned them up to heaven in ecstatic contemplation the prince coughed stamped his foot moved his sword so as to hit trespolo's legs but could not get from him any sign of attention so absorbed did he appear in celestial thoughts bronca leone would have liked to wring his neck but both his hands were occupied by the staff of the canopy and besides the king was present At last they were drawing nearer to the church of St. Clara, where the Neapolitan kings were buried, and where several princesses of the blood, exchanging the crown for the veil, have gone to bury themselves alive. The nuns, novices, and abbess, hidden behind shutters, were throwing flowers upon the procession. A bunch fell at the feet of the prince of Broccoliome, "'Traspolo, pick up that nosegay,' said the prince, so audibly that his servant had no further excuse. "'It is from Sister Teresa,' he added in a low voice. "'Constancy is only to be found nowadays in a convent.' Traspolo picked up the nosegay and came towards his master, looking like a man who was being strangled. "'Who is that girl?' the latter asked him shortly. "'Which one?' stammered the servant. "'Forsooth, the one walking in front of us. "'I don't know her, my lord. "'You must find out something about her before this evening. "'I shall have to go rather far afield.' "'Then you do know her, you intolerable rascal. "'I have half a mind to have you hanged like a dog. "'For pity's sake, my lord, think of the salvation of your soul, "'of your eternal life.' "'I advise you to think of your temporal life. "'What is her name? "'She is called Nisida, "'and is the prettiest girl in the island "'that she is named after. "'She is innocence itself. "'Her father is only a poor fisherman, "'but I can assure your excellency "'that in his island he is respected like a king.' "'Indeed,' replied the prince, "'with an ironical smile,' I must own, to my great shame, that I have never visited the little island of Nisida. You will have a boat ready for me to-morrow, and then we will see. He interrupted himself suddenly, for the king was looking at him, and calling up the most sonorous bass notes that he could find in the depths of his throat, he continued with an inspired air, Genitori genitoque leos et jubilatio. "'Amen,' replied the serving-man, in a ringing voice. Nisida, the beloved daughter of Solomon the fisherman, "'was, as we have said, the loveliest flower of the island "'from which she derived her name. "'That island is the most charming spot, "'the most delicious nook, with which we are acquainted. "'It is a basket of greenery, set delicately "'amid the pure and transparent waters of the gulf.' A hill wooded with orange trees and oleanders, and crowned at the summit by a marble castle. All around extends the fairy-like prospect of that immense amphitheatre, one of the mightiest wonders of creation. There lies Naples, the voluptuous siren, reclining carelessly on the seashore there portici Casalamare, and sorrento the very names of which awaken in the imagination a thousand thoughts of poetry and love there are posilipo Baiae, pozzoli and those vast plains where the ancients fancied their elysium sacred solitudes which one might suppose peopled by the men of former days where the earth echoes underfoot like an empty grave and the air has unknown sounds and strange melodies solomon's hut stood in that part of the island which turning its back to the capital beholds afar the blue crests of capri nothing could be simpler or brighter the brick walls were hung with ivy greener than emeralds and enamelled with white bell-flowers on the ground floor was a fairly spacious apartment in which the men slept and the family took their meals on the floor above was nisida's little maidenly room full of coolness shadows and mystery and lighted by a single casement that looked over the gulf above this room was a terrace of the italian kind the four pillars of which were wreathed with vine branches while its vine-clad arbour and wide parapet were overgrown with moss and wild flowers a little hedge of hawthorn which had been respected for ages made a kind of rampart around the fisherman's premises and defended his house better than deep moats and castellated walls could have done the boldest roisterers of the place would have preferred to fight before the parsonage and in the precincts of the church rather than in front of solomon's little enclosure otherwise this was the meeting-place of the whole island every evening precisely at the same hour the good women of the neighbourhood came to knit their woollen caps and tell the news groups of little children naked brown and as mischievous as little imps sported about rolling on the grass and throwing handfuls of sand into the other's eyes heedless of the risk of blinding while their mothers were engrossed in that grave gossip which marks the dwellers in villages these gatherings occurred daily before the fisherman's house they formed a tacit and almost involuntary homage consecrated by custom and of which no one had ever taken special account the envy that rules in small communities would soon have suppressed them the influence which old solomon had over his equals had grown so simply and naturally that no one found any fault with it and it had only attracted notice when every one was benefiting by it like those fine trees whose growth is only observed when we profit by their shade if any dispute arose in the island the two opponents preferred to abide by the judgment of the fisherman instead of going before the court he was fortunate enough or clever enough to send away both parties satisfied He knew what remedies to prescribe better than any physician, for it seldom happened that he or his had not felt the same ailments, and his knowledge, founded on personal experience, produced the most excellent results. Moreover, he had no interest, as ordinary doctors have, in prolonging illnesses for many years past the only formality recognised as a guarantee for the inviolability of a contract had been the intervention of the fishermen each party shook hands with solomon and the thing was done they would rather have thrown themselves into vesuvius at the moment of its most violent eruption than have broken so solemn an agreement at the period when our story opens it was impossible to find any person in the island who had not felt the effects of the fisherman's generosity and that without needing to confess to him any necessities as it was the custom for the little populace of nisida to spend its leisure hours before solomon's cottage the old man while he walked slowly among the different groups humming his favorite song discovered moral and physical weaknesses as he passed and the same evening he or his daughter would certainly be seen coming mysteriously to bestow a benefit upon every sufferer, to lay a balm upon every wound. In short, he united in his person all those occupations whose business is to help mankind lawyers, doctors, and the notary, all the vultures of civilization, had beaten a retreat before the patriarchal benevolence of the fishermen. Even the priest had capitulated. On the morrow of the Feast of the Assumption, Solomon was sitting, as his habit was, on a stone bench in front of his house, his legs crossed and his arms carelessly stretched out at the first glance you would have taken him for sixty at the outside though he was really over eighty he had all his teeth which were as white as pearls and showed them proudly his brow calm and restful beneath its crown of abundant white hair was as firm and polished as marble not a wrinkle ruffled the corner of his eye and the gem-like lustre of his blue orbs revealed a freshness of soul and an eternal youth such as fable grants to the sea-gods He displayed his bare arms and muscular neck with an old man's vanity, never had a gloomy idea, an evil prepossession, or a keen remorse arisen to disturb his long and peaceful life. He had never seen a tear flow near him without hurrying to wipe it. Poor though he was, he had succeeded in pouring out benefits that all the kings of the earth could not have bought with their gold. Ignorant though he was, he had spoken to his fellows the only language that they could understand, the language of the heart. One single drop of bitterness had mingled with his inexhaustible stream of happiness. One grief only had clouded his sunny life the death of his wife, and moreover he had forgotten that. All the affections of his soul were turned upon Nisida, whose birth had caused her mother's death. He loved her with that immoderate love that old people have for the youngest of their children. At the present moment he was gazing upon her with an air of profound rapture, and watching her come and go, as she now joined the groups of children and scolded them for games too dangerous or too noisy now seated herself on the grass beside their mothers and took part with grave and thoughtful interest in their talk nisida was more beautiful thus than she had been the day before with the vaporous cloud of perfume that had folded her round from head to foot had disappeared all that mystic poetry which put a sort of constraint upon her admirers and obliged them to lower their glances she had become a daughter of eve again without losing anything of her charm simply dressed as she usually was on work-days she was distinguishable among her companions only by her amazing beauty and by the dazzling whiteness of her skin her beautiful black hair was twisted in plaits around the little dagger of chased silver that has lately been imported into paris by that right of conquest which the pretty women of paris have over the fashions of all countries like the english over the sea Nisida was adored by her young friends. All the mothers had adopted her with pride. She was the glory of the island. The opinion of her superiority was shared by every one to such a degree that if some bold young man, forgetting the distance which divided him from the maiden, dared speak a little too loudly of his pretensions, he became the laughing-stock of his companions.' even the past masters of tarantella dancing were out of countenance before the daughter of solomon and did not dare to seek her as a partner only a few singers from amalfi or sorrento attracted by the rare beauty of this angelic creature ventured to sigh out their passion carefully veiled beneath the most delicate allusions but they seldom reached the last verse of their song. At every sound, they stopped short, threw down their triangles and their mandolins, and took flight, like scared nightingales. One only had courage enough or passion enough to brave the mockery. This was Bastiano, the most formidable diver of that coast he also sang but with a deep and hollow voice his chant was mournful and his melodies full of sadness he never accompanied himself upon any instrument and never retired without concluding his song that day he was gloomier than usual he was standing upright as though by enchantment upon a bare and slippery rock and he cast scornful glances upon the women who were looking at him and laughing the sun which was plunging into the sea like a globe of fire shed its light full upon his stern features and the evening breeze as it lightly rippled the billows set the fluttering reeds waving at his feet absorbed by dark thoughts he sang in the musical language of his country these sad words o window that wert used to shine in the night like an open eye how dark thou art alas alas my poor sister is ill her mother all in tears stoops towards me and says thy poor sister is dead and buried jesus jesus have pity on me you stab me to the heart tell me good neighbours how it happened repeat to me her last words she had a burning thirst and refused to drink because thou wast not there to give her water from thy hand oh my sister oh my sister she refused her mother's kiss because thou wast not there to embrace her oh my sister O oh, my sister, she wept until her last breath because thou wast not there to dry her tears. O oh, my sister, O oh, my sister, we placed on her brow her wreath of orange flowers. We covered her with a veil as white as snow. We laid her gently in her coffin. Thanks, good neighbors, I will go and be with her. Two angels came down from heaven and bore her away on their wings. Mary Magdalene came to meet her at the gate of heaven. Thanks, good neighbors, I will go and be with her. There she was seated in a place of glory, a chaplet of rubies was given to her, and she is singing her rosary with the Virgin. Thanks, good neighbors, I will go and be with her as he finished the last words of his melancholy refrain he flung himself from the top of his rock into the sea as though he really desired to engulf himself nisida and the other women gave a cry of terror for during some minutes the diver failed to reappear upon the surface are you out of your senses cried a young man who had suddenly appeared unobserved among the women why what are you afraid of you know very well that bastiano is always doing things of this sort but do not be alarmed all the fishes in the mediterranean will be drowned before any harm comes to him water is his natural element good day sister good day father the young fisherman kissed nisida on the forehead drew near to his father and bowing his handsome head before him took off his red cap and respectfully kissed the old man's hand he came thus to ask his blessing every evening before putting out to sea where he often spent the night fishing from his boat may god bless thee my gabriel said the old man, in a tone of emotion, as he slowly passed his hand over his son's black curls, and a tear came into his eye. Then, rising solemnly and addressing the groups around him, he added in a voice full of dignity and of gentleness, Come, my children, it is time to separate. The young to work, the old to rest. There is the Angelus ringing. Everybody knelt, and after a short prayer, each went on his way nisida after having given her father the last daily attentions went up to her room replenished the oil in the lamp that burned day and night before the virgin and leaning her elbow on the window ledge divided the branches of jasmine which hung like perfumed curtains began to gaze out at the sea and seemed lost in a deep sweet reverie At this very time a little boat, rowed silently by two oarsmen, touched shore on the other side of the island. It had become quite dark. A little man first landed cautiously, and respectfully offered his hand to another individual, who, scorning that feeble support, leapt easily ashore. "'Well, knave,' he cried, "'are my looks to your taste?' Your lordship is perfect. I flatter myself I am. It is true that in order to make the transformation complete, I chose the very oldest coat that displayed its rags in a Jew's shop. Your lordship looks like a heathen god engaged in a love affair. Jupiter has sheathed his thunderbolts, and Apollo has pocketed his rays a truce to your mythology, and, to begin with, I forbid you to call me your lordship. Yes, your lordship. If my information that I have procured during the day is correct, the house must be on the other side of the island, in a most remote and lonely spot. Walk at a certain distance, and do not trouble yourself about me, for I know my part by heart. End of chapter 1, part 2